everybody, and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast that's all about dice. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. we're changing it up a bit this episode. I'm joined by Ava Foxfort. Hi, I'm Ava Foxfort, and I love dice. We're going to be talking about three games that have dice in them, and as dice fans, that's got both of us very excited. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's really cute. I've just found three <laughs> games that are quite quick and quick and simple, but do interesting things with dice, and it's just made me think, oh, dice are nice. Yeah, you found them on the floor, you found them in cupboards, you found them under sofas. Great dice games are everywhere. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a little that's reference. A, that's, that's a callback. Yeah. That's a callback. That's back. a little reference to the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel. Those those guys are great. Those guys are great. I wish I could be like them. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about three dice games. We're going to be talking about Sequoia. We're going to be talking about Gang of Dice, and we're going to be talking about Rolling One, which, when you say it, is is kind of a cute. It's like a little pun. And then at the end, we're going to be talking about a Euro game. We're going to be talking about Lacrimosa. Has it got dice? No, it has none dice. But it's here, like an unwanted guest at a party. Um, <laughs> but actually, I kind of want it at this party because I like Lacrimosa. Oh, oh, I'm jealous. I kind of wanted you to send it to me because I've heard good things as well. You could probably get sent it afterwards. But you know what? We can talk about that later in the podcast when I deliver my scathing verdict. Ava, please show the class... Your dice games. Oh, I've got three little boxes and they are filled with dice and they're all doing different things with those dice and that's exciting. Um, first of all, at Shucks, I was handed by the designer Randy O'Connor a, a lovely produced game called Roll in One. I was not really up for receiving games from random people who were walking around the floor, but just the other day, I'd been, I'd had a friend who wasn't able to go to another friend's birthday party because we were going to go and do crazy golf, and golf would be really bad for his back. Um, so we had a little thing of like, oh well, we'll do some board games as well, and we'll do that another time. Um, and it was like, Ava. Ava Ava, with your giant cave of games, do you have any games about golf? And I looked and I was like, no, I don't have any games about golf. Ah. But then, oh. Mr. O'Connor, Randy O'Connor, ah. on the shores of Canada, um, gave me a, a little box called Roll in One that features some anthropomorphic animals playing the golf. So you said, I've got just the friend this is for. Exactly. And that's why that's what bagged you the copy. I see. Okay, exactly. good, good, good. Exactly. And essentially, like, I'm kind of like blagging birthday glee from, like, exploitation of my own weird connections to the board games industry. Congratulations. Yeah. Now, I looked at this and I was like, I am not sure whether this is going to be interesting. This is a game where you lay out tiles with hexagons on and you build a little bolf course. Uh, a bolf course <laughs> where you play the board of bolf. <laughs> little plate of bolf. Uh, you build a golf course and then players take in turns to choose their clubs and then... Uh, knock them down the fairway this is what i think is quite cool about this game this game is very very simple but the core of it is just similar enough to the core decision of golf as you might think in that whenever i have played golf which is basically none uh <laughs> it is mostly about picking the right club that will hit the right distance and then yes. you hit it and you hope right right 
and that's what yes. this game simulates. So each club is a different dice. So you've got a putter that is a D4. You've got a D6 that is a little sand wedge type thing. Uh, you've got, a, yeah. you see, and it goes up. And the yeah. bigger the dice is, the bigger they're like, further the dice should get you. But the way they've modeled this isn't even just as simple as like, oh, that's a D20. So if you roll that, you roll a 19. You're now going 19 spaces in that direction. It's got this unusual thing where while you are rolling, you keep on rolling until your ball lands. You have almost no decisions to make during this part of the game, but you're like, right, I've got an eight <laughs> iron. I'm going to be rolling this dice. I'm going to roll it and numbers are going to come up. Now, those numbers will have to keep on getting higher. And if you roll the same or lower, you will land. So you right. go in a direction and you go the same or you land. Now, as oh well as... As well as numbers, there's a load of symbols. Uh, the the big three-wood uh, dice, which is the biggest dice in there, a D20, has a load of symbols that will send it another step forward, whatever number you just rolled or whatever number was rolled previously, but will fall down if it is in trees. Right. Um, the next ones down all have uh, some faces on them that will allow you, which will force you to choose a direction for the bowl to change during its flight mm. right so you've got this one that's really reliable at going long ways as long as you don't go into a tree you've got one that will curve in different directions but you don't decide when it's going to curve you're at the mercy of the winds and then right down to the little putter which is just really useful as doing those little ones that just goes one or two spaces so that you can just finish off and get it into the hole at the end of the course that you've done the one the one the one that just makes the ball go bleep bloop um yeah Exactly. Um, and cool. you could just get the putter and just like slowly move down the course. And honestly, on a bad day for some people rolling the other dice, you might win by doing that. <laughs> um, but I just thought this was really neat and tidy. Like, I don't think this is the best game in the world by quite a large margin. But everything about this like feeds into a simple like, oh, I want to waste time for a little bit. I want to roll these dice and see whether I can move down it. There's some little caddy cards, which mean that you can do an extra action in your turn or influence the result a little bit more. So you do have a little bit more control than just literally like picking a direction and rolling a dice. Uh, yeah. And obviously they're, well, not obviously. And also it's worth mentioning that there's loads of different terrain effects. So if you end up in sand, you will miss your first roll as you're trying to get out of it. And various other things like this. Fairways mean that it will just move a little bit further. Um, and finally, there's like a unique player power for each of the different animals that might be playing the game. Um, all of these are exactly what you would expect. They're just like little wrinkles that are just like speed it up and give you a little bit more agency uh but not much more than that um and otherwise it's just yeah choose a direction roll the dice roll it again roll it again roll it again oh no i'm in the water <laughs> that's stuff. i adore that simulation of like you roll that massive dice and you know your first roll might send it a few spaces but then you're going to keep rolling it as it sails through the air that's really juicy. I really like that. I love a game that sort of can simulate a physical action with a component. We've been playing a lot. I'll tease it here. We've been playing a lot of Heat, Pedal to the Metal, which is the new racing game from Days of Wonder and uh, this, the two folks who made Flum Rouge. And that game also has a really good like sort of physicality to it in that you're playing these sort of cards that make your little tiny car go faster. Here is a dice. And you maybe it's just going to drop out of the air at any moment, but you're going to... I don't know, 
Give it a real wally. Give it a real wumph. Give it a real whack. Tom, it's literally at any moment as well. So you just get this hilarious thing where someone's like, oh, I'm so far behind. I'd better use like the biggest club I've got and I'm going to go there. And you just like accidentally just go one or two spaces and like nothing happens. <laughs> and it's just like this really satisfying thud of like, ah, oh, I was planning this move on the assumption I'd be over there. Now this is all <laughs> terrible. Um, or the other way where it's like you end up overshooting because you're just rolling and moving and rolling and moving and rolling and moving. Yeah. Like it's a little bit fiddly to interpret at times. And I think the main problem that I had with it was that remembering which dice corresponds to which club is surprisingly difficult. Like there's a good reference card mm. in there, but you've kind of got to come up with a system yourself for making sure you pick up the right one. Because I repeatedly, which to be fair, I would probably do in a real game of golf, golf, Bolf golf. Bolf golf. Which I would almost certainly do in a real game. Why are you having so much trouble saying bolf? Golf. <laughs> Shoot. See? It's you. It's not. It's hard. It's hard to say golf. Right, okay, so I'm going to carry on this theme and think, right, right, so that's an interesting thing to do with dice. You choose from a range of different dice. So before the games, before you roll them, you make a decision, and that is what you are doing. Now, let me introduce you to a game by the big man, Rainer Knizia, the good doctor, who has just done a game for Mandu Games, uh, a Korean game company, uh, with art by Odang that is themed around a... Well, there's a boss of a mob and he is dying and everyone is trying to vie for their position and get the most gang members. But the boss is still in charge. And so if you look like you're doing too much, if you look like you're being like not following his rules, then you'll get slammed down and you'll be in trouble. Okay? Right. Yeah. Theme. Yeah. What this is a game. Okay. Of. Thank you for the theme. Yeah, that's the theme. That's all of the theme. It's very, very, very tagged on and like feels a <laughs> bit weird, especially when it's like, oh yeah, this is a fun game about uh, bombs accidentally going off because the mob boss that is your boss has just blown you up, but you don't care because it only kills gang members. Crime is bad. So Gang of Dice by Rainer Knizia is a push your luck sort of dice game. It's also mm -hmm. like got some of the feeling of a gambling game without actually really directly giving you that. Um, what happens is at the beginning of the game, you're given a little screen that you hide a huge pile of dice behind and actually you make that dice, those dice conceptually even more dice by having a load of tokens, each of which represents three dice. Now, each die is supposed to be a gang member who you can send on missions to go and do stuff to kind of up your stakes. Now, each mission, what will happen is a card will be drawn from a deck. And this will give you the thing that the boss has told you you are not allowed to do. So it might be you're not allowed to roll higher than seven in total. It might be that you're not allowed to roll any odd numbers. It might be that you're not allowed to roll any even numbers. These dice also don't have a six on them. They've got a little tiny mustachioed face that is not what I think of a mob boss as looking like at all. Like a sexier Pringles man. Um, I think the Pringles man is sexier, but I also don't want to elaborate on that any further. That's understandable. So, you've got a target. You've got a thing that you know you're not supposed to do. You then, if it's your turn to be the first player, you grab a bundle of dice and you choose how many dice you're willing to risk on this mission. If you mm. go over, if you fail, if you do what the, bo the, the boss makes you unhappy. If you do what the boss If says. you do what the boss boss tells you, 
then yes. you will get in trouble. You'll, if you go over the number, if you meet the requirements, your dice will not count. Some of these are bomb cards, which means that on any roll, if it goes wrong, you lose immediately. Some of these are a bit gentler and allow you to do a couple of re-rolls of dice in between to see whether you can get better. And it will only be the final roll that might trigger this bad effect. Um, you'll do that, then your neighbour will do that, then the next people all around the table will do the same thing. Choosing how many dice they want to roll, then rolling them with a little bit of power to modify afterwards and re-roll. Now what you're trying to do is get the highest number without breaking the mob boss's ah, rules. So this okay. is a super simple game of like figuring out the odds of dice that are slightly distorted because they actually only go one to five and the mob boss face doesn't count as a result at all. So cannot trigger any of the problems, but doesn't give you a number, which means it's not increasing your die rolls results. So it can make you safer if you've rolled one of those. But, mm. oh, 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 so it's a tricky decision. And, like, I looked at these rules, and somehow, my first read-through, I skipped the fact that I assumed this was all going to be simultaneous. And I think that one of the genius little touches here that is, like, exactly why I do really respect the Big Knitz's dice structures is that <laughs> because you are taking this in turns, it means that everyone is actually calculating a different thing. The first person who rolls has to work out the odds for what is the best number of die. And like, if you've got, so it's like, oh, I've got to do this without doing this. What is the highest amount of dice I can roll without rolling any fives or without rolling three of the same? Like, if I need to get three of the same, I can roll two dice and I'll be perfectly safe. I could get a 10 on that and I would never be in mm. danger. But then you do that and you roll two dice and you get two ones and you're stuck with that and that's all you've got at the end of the day. And it's like, oh, well, this is rubbish. The next person can just do the same thing. <laughs> or you hit that 10 and then it's like the next person absolutely has to roll three dice. Or maybe you rolled four dice, got lucky. The next person has to roll five dice because they know they're not going to have much of a chance. Mm. There's this constant shifting of the odds and this constant upping of the ante also also i've missed out the most exciting thing these dice they are all gang members and these gang members are the thing that you are betting with so if you roll ah. three dice you have risked three dice which means oh. that another player is going to get those and all that matters is that at the end of the game someone has the most gang members so the most dice left over now this is why there's that a load is, of tokens. you know what that is that that is the rule isn't it yeah. that's like that's like the that's made my brain go like from, oh, this game seems cool to like, I want to play this right now. Yeah. I, I want to bring this game to the pub as soon as possible. I think it's really spicy. I think for a game that is just a lot of dice. Now, the one criticism that I had of this was someone pointed out is that they got very excited when this game came out and they were given like 12 dice to roll. Yes. And it was just like, oh my word, this is going to be like launching an auto cannon volley in... <laughs> Flam Hammer 4200 or whatever it's called. What's that? Uh, I'm trying to make a joke because I didn't want to sound like a Warhammer nerd. Um, but you are. But I am. I am a Warhammer nerd, but I don't necessarily want to sound oh. like one. Um, yeah, so you get to, it looks like you're going to be rolling these huge dice. And actually, for the most part, most of the game, it's only sensible to roll two or three dice at a time. And it's kind right. of a shame that, like, there's a second deck of cards that you put at the bottom. So the last three or four rounds will be for slightly higher stakes. There's some extra gang tokens that will get bought in. Um, but also they will be asking you to do things that have a bit more variance. And mm -hmm. so 
And it's just, it was just really exciting the first time someone could validly say, I'm rolling seven dice. And then the next person has to be like, oh no, you got away with it. Now I've got to roll eight dice. Um, and yeah, that one-upmanship, that structure to it, and the fact that anything you do, you are just risking giving away. So, and uh, I don't know. I think it's a really smart little design and I'm definitely going to yeah, send sounds- this down to you and Matt because um, I think you will enjoy it. Yeah, this sounds really interesting. Um, I think this reminds me actually a lot of a, a Cosmos game called High Score, which is another Reiner Knizia sort of dice game where you're sort of pushing your luck. But I think in High Score, it's just you just want to get the highest possible score on the dice based on whatever the sort of criteria is for that round. Everyone's you know gradually trying to up the ante. That sounds nicer than this. This sounds quite quite sort of like those swings of fate seem more dramatic and explosive with the dice being the thing that you are like fundamentally betting on during the game that's great i think this is really interesting yeah i think so and i think it gives you a bit of an opportunity to feel like smart or not smart as well because there's just the fact that like i just couldn't get the probabilities right and i kept on rolling the wrong number of dice and it's interesting because it is not a d6 it's several d6 and the things that you are looking for are unusual enough that you're not Mm. doing the maths you normally do. Like, even if you're just rolling 2d6, like, most people who play games have a bit of a grasp of the curve of probability of 2d6. But as soon as it's like, (laughs) oh, now I'm rolling 4d6, and I need to know how likely it is that some of those will be even when there isn't a 6 on the dice. So that's two out of five outcomes on each of those. And and it's... And it's just a bit spicy (laughs) and probably quite a good way to learn probability. Mm. Um... Yeah, I thought it was a good good time. That's a good that's a pull quote for the box. Yeah, yeah, they can use. They I can thought use it was that. a good time. I thought it was a yeah. good good time. Sequoia by Board Game Tables. Now, Board Game Tables have started out making tables, and somewhere down the line, got distracted by making games. We're, I think, quite interested in them as a publisher because we, you, you quite liked Kabuto Sumo, or at least found it quite interesting. I think Bytes is a really, really strong game, and they've also been doing these lots of tiny, square, small box games. And they say on the box that they can be played in about ten minutes, and they kind of can, like. Yeah, it's all right. Um, I'm not sure all of them are brilliant, but Sequoia, I thought, like, fits a really nice spot. Um, And this is the first one of these games that I'm talking about where you roll your dice and then you make your decision. Now, Sequoia is about trying to grow forests and be the biggest trees in those forests. What will happen is you will chuck five dice. All of the players will secretly, rolling behind their hands, roll five little d6s. They will then secretly behind their hands split those dice into two pairs and a single. Now, before I move on, I have to describe what else is on the table. There is a load of areas with numbers from 2 to 12. They will also have been randomly distributed some values for first and second place. What you are trying to do is have as tall trees in those areas and score those points from those values that have been put in there. That's right. This is probably the simplest area control game that I have ever played. Because <laughs> all you do, you roll these five dice, you arrange them, then you open them, and then the two pairs of dice that you've arranged are the places you are allowed to put your tree tokens. So if I rolled right. a, 
I'm not going to try and do an actual example of numbers, but I might have rolled five dice and there might be a way for me to make a 10 and a 12 or a way to mm. make a four and a 10 or various other combinations of things. And then I do it and I put it on there and then we roll again and we keep on doing that until we've run out of tokens that we can put onto things. And like, that's it. I've told you the entire game. No, wait, no, wait. There's one extra rule. There's one extra oh. rule. If you roll yep. five dice, all of the same, you shout out Sequoia and get <laughs> to change all five of those dices to any single face that you want. So they will still all be the same number. Right but you can choose where you put them and then split them how you wish. Um, cool. Which is nice. And that's all there is to it. And like, there's not a huge amount of game here, but it comes in a tiny box. It plays really quickly. It's easy to teach. And if I wanted to explain to someone what area control was so they could play something stronger, like El Grande, like this is such a lovely little stepping stone to it. And it is just enough of a decision because you are doing that thing where you roll some dice and then you make a choice. Then you decide yep. what's going to happen next. And yeah, it's just really cute. These All of these games are actually surprisingly cute and I feel a bit weird being <laughs> this positive about things. But like, yeah. Yeah. Does that sequoia? Yeah. That's Sequoia. Does no? Does that Sequoia? Yeah. Does that Sequoia? I don't think Sequoia is a word. Sequoia, I no hardly no no. no. <laughs> right. So now that I have filled my heart with all of the diciest dice, Tom, why don't you tell me about a little game that isn't very little called Lacrimosa? It is quite a big game. This is Lacrimosa. It's published by De Vere and it's designed by Gerard Asensi and Ferran Renalias. I'm sorry if I got your names a little bit wrong there. Um, here's the core pitch for Lacrimosa, Ava. Mozart is dead. <laughs> he was just about to finish his... Do, don't wait, laugh. Wait, Mozart's been dead for quite a long time. Like, I find it hard to find that dramatic. Oh, I didn't even know he was sick. Uh, he was just about to finish his final opus, but he didn't manage it because he's lazy. You... As one of his patrons, one of his sponsors, you're going to be hiring the best composers of the land to finish that requiem. But also, in a slightly sinister twist, you're going to meet up with his widow in order to reminisce with her and retell all your memories alongside Mozart. That sounds sweet, but you're doing it in order to make sure that she portrays you in the best light when she writes her memoirs. So you'll enter the history books as Mozart's most important patron. Oh my it God! It's psychopathic, absolutely <laughs> psychopathic. Now, granted, that might be quite an uncharitable reading of the game. I'm sure the designers probably think it's a little bit more, I don't know, sweet and saccharine than that, but that's what it felt like because <laughs> most of the game is taking place in sort of two different timelines, the present and the past. But because they're happening simultaneously in the space of the game, it very much feels like what you're really doing is making up a load of memories about what you did with Mozart back in the day <laughs> so that his widow's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this guy was great. I don't know. Right, because it's, it's like you're, you're flashing back to times in the past and then those are affecting what's happening in the medium because like time does still travel linearly in terms yes, of experience. Yes, exactly, but exactly. also you as a player have agency going back in time, which isn't possible, so it just feels like you're being weird with the widow. Yes, Go. exactly. Got it. Uh, in the past, right, you're like travelling around with Mozart, you're listening to his tunes, you're performing his tunes... And in the present, you're finishing that final requiem by getting these other composers to sort of 
polish it off for you. And yeah, it gets a little bit blurry, but what you need to know about are the mechanics. You've got a big board in front of you. You've got your player board, which are these gorgeous little fold-out booklet double-layer things, and you'll be slotting cards into that player board every single turn. These cards have a top half and a bottom half, and you're going to be playing two cards a turn, one with its top showing and one with its bum out on your player board. They literally slot into the player board. It was such a nice realization. That's what they did. Oh, not even and like tucked underneath, does it? Oh, no, no, no. They slot into, into oh, your player board. that's a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mozart would have loved that. <laughs> RIP. <laughs> the top half is what action you're going to take and the bottom half is what income you're going to receive which is actually a lovely little decision. And you only get four actions a turn, so choosing what card is going to be your action and what card's going to be your income is quite juicy, especially considering you're going to get these cards from a very slim deck of nine cards. You'll see all of them in a round, because you're getting rid of two cards a turn, you'll shuffle through them, but also you're going to actually get to do the actions of only four of them. And Ava, I bet you're asking, what are the actions? What are this the game actions, is big. Tom? It, it looks like it's got loads going on when really it is incredibly simple. In fact, can I just jump in there quickly to say like, sure, I do really want to know what the actions are here, Tom, because I looked at this oh, game. Yeah, good. I looked at this game at Shucks and I looked at it and I don't know if it was the jet lag, but I did nearly start crying a little bit because I just looked at it and I was like, oh my <laughs> word. Like part of the board is actually musical staves, right? Like, like yes, sheet music. It's, it's sheet music, that yep. Little things slot into. And then there was just so many things going on on that board. And I was just like, there is no way I am learning this while jet lagged. I am going to go over there now. Sorry, this looks, I really, I'm really curious about this, but no. It's, it's actually, it's so much, I mean, I don't think it looks dramatically complicated, so maybe a little bit of you was, was quite jet-lagged. But also, I do think that it is much more simple than it appears, especially compared to, I'll talk about this later, especially compared to the other big Devere Euro game, which is Bitoku, which also looks like it has absolutely shed loads of stuff going on. Lacrimosa is relatively breezy. So you've got these quite simple actions you're going to be taking on your turn. The first one is just to buy new cards. That deck of nine cards that you take actions with, you can buy a new one of those and replace another card with your new purchase. And the cards get gradually more powerful as the game goes on. So they'll let you take multiple actions at a time or altered actions with just one card. The second action is just another way of buying new cards. You can buy opuses. And these are bits of music that go in the sort of regular card market that you can either go and perform to get a little cluster of resources, or you can sell them to get currency or a permanent income, but you'll bin the card. Performing is the third action in the game. It's just play one of those opus cards. The fourth action is to travel around Europe. You move this tiny little Mozart statue around, paying some resources to get big bonuses or endgame scoring tiles. And the final action is the Requiem action, which is to do with that big sheet music thing at the bottom. This is where you will pay cash and resources to hire a composer, there's two of them, to finish off a little piece of the Requiem, the one long bit of sheet music, and you'll fill in the notes one note at a time. You'll put one of your own little player pieces on top of a note that you want filled. And each note is performed by a different instrument. So there's little slots for drums, little slots for trumpets, little slots for ah, choir boys, and you'll cover them up with your little pieces. The thing is, there are two composers to choose from and you'll pay that composer to play or to write that one note that you're slotting in there. And whichever composer is the most present in the sheet music at the end of the game for each section will score more points for the player that hired them. 
if that makes sense. Oh, my word. So whichever composer that you hire is more present will score you more point. It's very, like, and so I mean, again, it's, it's hard to get across. like area control, but for music, and like that is, that is, that doesn't make sense, Tom. Wild? Yeah, no, it doesn't really make any sense at all. It's very funny. We, we at the end of the game, tried to perform with our mouths the sheet music that we had written because it looks very, very silly. It would, it, like, we started off and it was like, boom, boom, whip, ba, bop. And that was like it. Yeah, I mean, the, that was like, wow, uh, wow, Mozart, you, you really killed ev- it on that Everyone one. knows that Mozart was killed because he was about to invent free jazz a couple of hundred years <laughs> too early. <laughs> he was about to invent Scar <laughs> and he had to go. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to like, you know, explain quite a complex Eurogame on a podcast because there's moving pieces and there's bits and there's bobs and there's all this stuff going on. But you have my word, Ava, that this is not that complicated a Eurogame. Yeah. It's quite big and it's quite scary, but it's really, really very, very simple. So all of the brain juice is going to go into the decision making. And I think that after expending all that brain juice, playing Lacrimosa a couple of times, I can tell you that this is a very straightforward, very robust very solid euro game i'm not smitten with it i like it a lot i just don't think it's exceptional but i do think it's really really good i don't think anyone could step away from this game and be like i had an absolutely terrible time but i don't think anyone's necessarily going to step away from it and say this is my new favorite game i want to play this forever and ever until i die which is what happened to me the first time i played hands of teutonica mm. um this I'm glad that Devere published something like this, right? Because it's so much more streamlined than this like excess that Bitoku presented, which like I like that a lot, but it's really difficult to get to the table because it was just so massive. This has got like a really lovely snappy little card play system. It whips round, it's only five rounds, and each round is only four turns. And the turns are like you just do one thing and that's it. Um, but I don't I think it's an interesting case study and it it lacks any of those, what we talked about with Gang of Dice, it lacks an ooh rule, yeah. you know? One of those rules that gets you to sit up in your chair and makes you sort of really engage with this puzzle. It's got, it hasn't got that grit. It's a very, very smooth, very, very clean puzzle, but it's not one that I'm, you know, like it's not giving me any feelings that I haven't felt in other games, basically. Yeah. Right? And yeah, and like ooh rules are a lot easier to come by in like small, tiny, felt games because they would often be yes, like, this yeah. is one idea that we're going to build a game around. Whereas this is going to be, this sounds like it is more of a like, can you efficiently do these actions in order? We've got a little bit of theme to tie it together. I guess my big question would be, I genuinely got a bit excited about this because the idea of a game about a piece of classical music, the fact that it had sheet music at the bottom just felt Mm. so unusual for me that I'm kind of disappointed to find out that like that is just an abstract field on which you are waging war rather than something where it's actually asking you to make a creative decision, which obviously wouldn't be very Euro game. So I can understand why they did that. But (laughs) does any of this like... We've made some jokes about the theming here, but like, does it make you learn something about Mozart? Does it feel like it's about music or that part of history in any way? Or is it just, this is a Euro game with an unusual theme, but the theme is just a place for you to slot tokens? I think it's much more the latter than it is the former. I think the set dressing of it does do a lot. Like it is really nice and novel having a Euro game that is sort of so bizarre in its theming. And also like, you know, 
ripe for jokes with that whole starter monologue about it being like Mozart's dead and you're going to make friends with his wife so that she writes you into his big expensive will or something yeah and also like to be fair to Eurogames and themes like what I'm mostly looking for with a Eurogame theme is for it to allow me to say something ridiculous while I'm playing that makes me look back and think did I really just say aha I am going to superpower my requiem (laughs) yes there's plenty of that, especially considering, you know, one of my, one, maybe something that could almost be an ooh rule, but is more just sort of like a thing that is interesting about the game, a little bit of friction, a little bit of grit in the wheels, is the fact that Mozart himself in the past is sort of trundling around Europe and everyone can control him with their movement. So you can be right <laughs> next to a thing that you really want to do. And then someone else like jets him off to London for a bit or something. And then he's over there, you know, performing music and you can't afford the funds to get him all the way over to Paris or something. Yeah, yeah. I just Um, find it absurd that this does feel like a game in which Mozart invented both free jazz and time travel. Yep. Like, what a guy. (laughs) You're going to believe. No wonder they didn't let him finish that uh, last opus, Requiem Lacrimosa. (laughs) His Lacrimosa. I can't remember. It's like... It's the lacrimosa to his requiem, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, the so fact that la- I don't... lacrimosa does mean crying and weeping. So presumably it's like ah, you right. do a requiem that is like the big holy part of the mass where, where it's like, okay, now yeah. we are saying that this person has gone to God. And then you need a little bit of mood music at the end for everyone to cry to. Is that, I don't know enough about yep. music to make say that that's what a lacrimosa actually is. But that's what it sounds it like. It sounds about right. We, we started weeping at the end. So, you know, it, it did its that's job. Great. That is all we have time for on this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We talked about some games. We wept. We had some fun. If golf gangs freeze and crying, excuse me, golf gangs, golf gangs and crying. I thought you said like Wolfgang trees and crying. Wolfgang trees and crying. Maybe that's the name of the podcast. I had I I you know normally. I've got an idea for what the name of the podcast should be. Normally I sort of phone it in, but maybe maybe that's what it should be called. If it's called that, then, then you know, Future Tom thought that was a good idea. I think like Dyson Future Tears Tom. is another potential, right? Ah, Ava's, Ava's got yeah. it there. You've cinched it yeah. with Dyson Tears. If you want some video companions to your ears, <laughs> I guess, we got a new review up on the channel. I did a little review of a lovely abstract game called Turncoats. Won't talk about it too much here. You can go check out that video if you want to hear about a lovely little abstract game. But don't buy it because the person who's making it has got too many orders for it now. And I think I've accidentally created a sweatshop. <laughs> do we, uh, uh, do uh, they actually want us to say don't buy it? Because that, that seems a bit they, they probably do, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Buy it if you really want it. There we go. Yeah. That's better, right? Is that better? Buy it, buy it no when idea. buy it in a couple of months, maybe. Yeah, or maybe, maybe you know, maybe a couple of years. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We'll be back next week. See you soon. Bye. Bye.